You know, as we like to go through history on this channel and look at some interesting minds from the greatest minds, one of the most interesting people of all time that gets wrongfully stereotyped or generalized, known for the Mona Lisa, Mr. Leonardo da Vinci. And he's known for the Mona Lisa because it is a masterpiece in terms of the what he had to work with at the time and the techniques that were brought out of it. In fact, it was never officially considered as complete by da Vinci. It was unfinished until the day that he died. 20 years, 20 years refining. And if you look very closely at it, you can see where he painted over and used different texture, different types of technique. It was almost like his practice board that he used because he would apply those techniques and show it to his students for them to use as he developed them over those 20 years. But more so than a painter, let's say he never painted anything. He was still in his own right, would have been one of the greatest minds, if not the arguably greatest mind in history. This was a man who was relentlessly curious. He had no formal education, completely self-taught, an absolute perfectionist that was obsessive, that was detail-obsessed. That's what made him great. He used to walk when he was a kid. He used to walk to the pond, and he would sit there just in the blades of grass. Even if it was a hot summer day, he'd just sit out there, and he would observe the birds, looking very closely at the way that their wings flapped. And he wrote in his journal that, after a while, he, it was almost like he could see it in slow motion, that he could predict where the bird was going to move, and he could see it when he wasn't there so vividly in his mind, every little piece, and he would draw from that memory. And so the incredible thing is that throughout his time growing up, he was from Da Vinci, that was the, the town was Vinci, right? It just means Leonardo of Vinci. He was starting to become well-known around his town for having a lot of in-depth knowledge about things that weren't really around yet. They weren't common knowledge, at least. If someone did it, it was probably way across the world in China or something like that. But in terms of being in Italy, not even a thought. He was well beyond his time. So if I call somebody a generational talent, this guy would be a millennia talent. This guy transcends the eras. He's still relevant today. But he also had a, a keen fashion sense as well. He was, he was bizarre in a sense where he'd wear Eastern and almost Arabic style clothing in Italy. So he'd wear pink get-ups uh he'd wear tall hats with bells on them and he'd walk around in the city with this flashy flashy attire while everybody was dressed conservative and walk through the town and everybody knew him and he would just stand out like a sore thumb sometimes there'd be a bird on his shoulder or multiple birds flying towards him and he would go down into these towns and he would speak to people in his town and of course they're very familiar with him, but he was a loner, so he didn't really develop deep, deep relationships with people. But he would make many little public speaking events where he would 
oftentimes make people laugh. So you'd be the equivalent of a stand-up comedian today. It would have some type of entertainment in it as well, or education in it. But for the most part, it was entertainment-based. And third-party recounts of people that witnessed it said that he was the most charismatic. He glowed. He, he had an air about him that was just otherworldly. The other thing is he would make spectacles. He would come into town and he would take a horseshoe and he would take off his shirt and he would bend the horseshoe with his hands. He'd bend it straight and then toss it. And it's also said that he could grab onto a rope tied to a bull, make the bull go, and he would hold it and hold it in place. That he was wicked strong. And if you read his exercise journal of where he jotted things down he was doing yoga back then and he was pushing for things like veganism and cleaner eating and even developed eating slow so ahead of his time and not being preoccupied by anything but enjoying your meal it's like that advice is still so relevant today the incredible thing too was he invented his own musical instruments. So if you were to look at today, um, a hit, uh, you know, a, a chart topper. Obviously they couldn't record back then, so it was all in person. But when you have the Kings requesting that you travel 500 miles to play for them all across Europe, to conduct plays and uh, symphonies. It was also, by the way, reported he had a beautiful voice, sang like a canary one person wrote. So here's this guy that is not only writing the music, he's performing it for kings, paid while they fly him, or <laughs> fly them in, while they buggy him in, give him room and board while he's there, treat him like a king while he's on the tour. And then he moves on to a different discipline, whatever it is. So if you wanna look at what cold emailing is today, when you cold email someone for a job or a prospect, what he did was he actually wrote a letter basically saying what he could do for the king. And he would say that he was a military engineer, which is total BS, but he did have the competency. He just didn't have the experience, but he would prove to be competent. And he wrote him this long letter telling him of what he can do. He can build him the best military, great equipment. He can engineer X, Y, and Z. And he got a return letter and they said, yeah, come on out. And that was what started him at becoming that's so that's influencer marketing right he was leveraging a platform to bring himself up and it did the rest of his life he was seen as a man that wanted that people wanted to be around that high value people wanted to be around kings would have him live with them because he was a human encyclopedia he would be google he would be a search engine, a walking search engine. Before Google was Google, you could ask him practically anything and he would just go and educate you on that subject. It was incredible. And he often would jot down these ideas and leave it 
left open in his notebook. But as they did tests, as they re rediscovered some of his ideas and inventions, they ended up actually working. Some of them. Some were busts. But some of them actually ended up working. And da Vinci also had a sense of, he had a strong social IQ as well. He handled Michelangelo masterfully. They would, Michelangelo and his camp would mercilessly flame da Vinci, who would pay them no mind. He would smile and basically take, be the bigger man in today's equivalent. He would get stones thrown at him and he would just say, well, you're entitled to your opinion. I tried to be nice to you guys. He had asked Michelangelo one time about his marble and Mar Michelangelo took it as da Vinci was going there to rip off his techniques, which couldn't be further from the truth. And it was said that Michelangelo was not the best looking person while da Vinci was, he looked like he was carved out of marble, kind of like the statues that Michelangelo painted or sculpted. But for the most part, da Vinci was in incredible shape until the day that he died, died at 67. And on that day, his death day, he was working on a math problem before he died. And his one thing that he said before he left was, He's sorry he couldn't finish the problem. So this is a guy that just was relentless about his learning. He was never bored. People would say that he was lazy and procrastinated because he ducked out on commissions. But it's easy to see if you read why. It's easy to guess why he did that. Why he would leave paintings unfinished. And it, if you read between the lines, you could see that they were the demanding type of customers that would tell him that would put the heat on him too early when he would, his style was he would ruminate on an idea for months and months. And of course that's, when you're commissioned to do something, you gotta complete it. He probably wouldn't get away with that today with how common reviews are and social media to put people on the hot seat. But if you look at every situation where that happened, it usually be came about from them not appreciating his artistry and they just wanted the finished product. Fair play to them, but that's not how Da Vinci worked at all. He hated being rushed. He wanted everything to be inspired and creative, which is why he had so many unfinished works because he would be inspired at first and then he would lose interest maybe halfway between it until he found a better idea and he was exploring that. Do not be fooled and do not get it twisted. This was a man of high productivity. Because while he may have left those things unfinished, he wasn't sitting there at home playing card games or going to the local town hall and getting drunk. They didn't have TV back then. All he had to do was sit and think and read and write. And that's what he did. He was constantly learning any way he can get his hands on books he would do it. This was a guy that was good at everything. He was a human optimized machine. Just an absolute power machine. 
at self-development and getting better and improving every day. And his whole goal was just to learn endlessly. And he said he could never get bored of life because there's always so much more to learn. And it's so inspiring in the sense that today, imagine if he was here today with Google and how much he would he would know. You try to think of an equivalent of who he would be today, but you couldn't do that without having to doctor in seven or eight other people. You'd have to put in a, a, a superstar designer that was ahead of his time. You'd have to put in the best scientist, the best engineer, the best mathematician, the best person with penmanship, the best person with filmmaking skills. So whoever that is in your opinion, throw them all in a little pot, mix it up, and that's who Da Vinci would be the equivalent of. And you could say, well, he'd never be able to do those things in his day. Those things that he did in his day, he wouldn't be able to do today. Oh yes, he would. In fact, with graphic design and how streamlined it is he probably would have learned coding no problem he was already doing advanced calculus he was building dams and war machines for military he would absolutely thrive in this day and age if i had to guess just based on his freelance rover off the grid type of lifestyle like I said, it's hard to find a comparison, but he would more than likely be a solopreneur. That's probably the closest word for him. He was given often he was often given businesses that produce income for him, like he was given a wine yard, um, a whole patch as a exchange for one of his paintings. And then he was also given his own loft, almost like a equivalent today of like a a warehouse like an art warehouse where he would teach children and he would outsource some of his um, commissions and work to them and teach them in addition to the um to the apprenticeship of offloading it and outsourcing it which obviously tripled quadrupled his productivity he was also able to free up his time to work on his creative pursuits. So he was relentlessly independent until the day that he died. And so he didn't have to be rich. He probably made, it's, there's no reports really about what he truly made in terms of revenue, but Da Vinci didn't really become Da Vinci and who he was walking around until he's about 32. So he was already sort of behind. He didn't really come from an affluent background. He didn't come from dirt poor either, but it wasn't royalty or aristocrats. He had more of a... He was requested. He was requested to stay with the kings, and he lived a rich life without having to pay for it. He was living in castles, eating the same thing as kings, living like the kings. He was an advisor, the most requested advisor to a king. He also would have been a doctor, 
And he was probably the first person to really speak about it that was recorded, mind you, about mixing disciplines together to understand the full picture. Often arguing that unless you understand something and its opposite, you don't understand it at all. And with experience and application, that was his biggest tool, he said. And that's a problem we deal with today was people knowing theory, but not knowing what it means and not knowing how to apply it and not being able to derive the lesson and the value out of it because they can just regurgitate it in words. They don't know what it feels like, what certain words and experiences feel like they know of it. It's like saying, yeah, it's easy to skydive. What you do is you get elevated 30,000 feet. You jump out with a guy on your back the first time. You pull the cord, you go up, and then you float down. And then you get a little run and you land. Over, right? What they're not including in there is the descent up into the 15, 20,000 feet. You're shaking, you're shivering, you're nervous. You're looking out the window and you can see the ground getting bigger and bigger as you're able to oversee more landscape. And you're thinking about the jump and what's going through your head and thinking about maybe quitting. That's probably big in itself too. Just quitting altogether because of the nerves. And then until you actually that moment, that split second before they pull you out and you're screaming your head off. Well, all of a sudden the word skydiving means two different things to two different people. The theorist will have their dry drab cut version of it and the actual skydiver will probably perk up with passion. Oh, it's amazing, they might say. It changed my life. It's such a rush. You got to try it. That's what I've heard from most, so I'm just going off that. I actually spent time in physical therapy with a guy who had broke every bone in his body and for a year was in physical therapy and couldn't wait to get back to doing it. I mean, so some some people are just made for it. Wear a skydiving shirt every single day. But that's one of the main lessons I would say to the kids these days is... When we're being taught this factory style system where we're taught to obey and regurgitate and memorize, that is not education. I know that's not a new thought, but really think about what that means of not applying any of this information to something useful. To me, that is the biggest waste of youth during their prime learning years when their brain is like a sponge. That is the age where they learn things so easy. They can learn languages so easy and they burn it on remembering useless facts. If they're even facts. So many of those textbooks have been debunked these days. But then they're nowadays they're learning about social issues and feeling. None of this stuff is, is marketable. In Germany... They were kicking our ass for so long because at 14 years old, they already had a career path. And you can say, well, you know, that's, that's you know, Nazism. They're, they're, they're putting them under this routine. No, it was not even during the era of Nazism. 
And not only that, but there was an idea that if they wanted to pursue their passion, they could. But at the very least, if it didn't work out, they would at least have a way to make a living. We have an influx and overload of unskilled labor coming into the market. To make things worse, we have a bunch of companies not willing to invest in proper training and the oversight and necessary criticism that it takes to be able to develop somebody to be proficient at their craft. So when that problem just keeps compounding exponentially, you're left with a backload of unemployed, on an unhirable people, especially in a time where we need critical skills. And at the same token, a CEO has to want to pay for your services. And the way to usually get that attention is if you're doubling, tripling, quadrupling his spreadsheet. The higher you go, the more hireable you are. It's basic economics. The only exception really is those people should be looking for government jobs at that point. That's probably the best way to save them or something like UPS or which is all respectable, by the way. I don't look down on any job. If you're making an honest living, you have my respect and you should have everybody else's respect. There's nothing wrong with doing what you got to do to survive and provide for your loved ones, no matter what it is. If you're working... You're not harming people, salute to you. Today is the best day to drop this podcast and start pumping this message to an era that Da Vinci would celebrate with open arms and would be, he would be beyond thrilled at what he was able to self-learn at a time when books were usually reserved for the formally educated and wealthy to have access to that thousands in your pocket at all times when you're preoccupied doing something you can listen to a book there's really no excuse not to get educated it can take any format and one of the best subjects to learn is history because it teaches us So many applicable things and timeless lessons that are still relevant today. And if we were to look at the new breakthrough, as I've talked about, I'm co-authoring a book, Post-Millennium Man. And what this book is, is is a call to action. It's meant to be a cornerstone, at least one of the literary pieces that define a, a mentality for a generation and basically reaching out to the younger generation and saying, we need men to carry themselves this way. I would write the post-millennia woman. I don't know what that is though. And I'm not a woman, so I don't know. I would be interested in hearing the perspective on that that probably mirrors along the same lines of the post-millennia man. But the post-millennia man is about returning to conquest, challenge, fearlessness, bravery and courage being rewarded as opposed to fighting social issues. It's more about doing the tough things when there's no reward promised 
or no guarantee of a reward. It's about having self-respect and honor to be accountable and not blame people for your problems. And it's about self-development without making excuses and looking outside for why people might be doing better than you. They don't point to someone else and say, they have more money than me and that's why I'm broke. No. It's not true. There is infinite sources of money. It's abundant for value creators. That's another thing is problem solving. Having a skill, not letting themselves become replaceable. The post-millennium man is not worried about robots. Robots work for him because he's trained in the fundamentals. He understands checks and balances, supply, demand. He's savvy with those things. He's financially literate. He understands the difference between an asset and a depreciating asset. He understands how to master his time. He is a master of time. He prizes it. He prizes time above everything. He speaks concise. Around high value people, they're impressed. He dresses sharp. He understands that the way he carries himself and dresses is important. He does not look outward for any answers to solve any work problems. He tries to figure it out before doing so. He respects working people. He doesn't turn his nose down at everybody. He talks to everybody with respect but doesn't demand the same respect back. He earns it. And he's not afraid of repercussions about going against the band. If something is wrong, he will speak out on it. In turn, his life is met with abundance financially. He's swimming in a pool of money. He has a great reputation in his community, if not on a global scale. And he has a, a loving wife, so it's against the men go their own way bullcrap. You know, if you're a virgin and, and it's not by choice, you can't just label it men go their own way and blame women. It's not them, it's you. Stop being low value. You are not owed that. It's because you play video games 24-7. That turns on nobody. That's the other thing about the post-millennium man. He understands his chemicals in his brain. He get he gets what a feedback loop is. He understands what reward is. He understands the difference between fruitless activities and things that will drive him in the right direction and setting himself up for his kids and for his wife and any other immediate family or or loved ones that he keeps dear to him. A good example is learning the difference between playing a real guitar and getting really good at Guitar Hero. One of those is impressive, still to this day as it was 100 years ago. One of those has never been impressive except to maybe 14-year-old teenagers and very momentarily fleeting but it's not translatable 
that's the difference is like they're playing the guitar with their life versus playing this fruitless easy fun sparkly type game like guitar hero we'll talk more about that on the next episode i will tell you the laws before it's released i've had to push back the date was making some corrections just perfecting it and fine-tuning it i think this version comes out a lot better i didn't want to release something that i hope to look back on in 10 years and be still proud of it i hope it gets better with age that's the whole idea of it but for now i am going to continue to compile excerpts thoughts applicable lessons today from our past i'm going to continue to share those stories and i'm continuing to preach a message of independence self-reliance youth celebration and giving them the tools that they need to have the best chance to survive as possible just like our ancestors have done for us and have wanted for us instead of making things harder like some generations do today and giving them the proper challenges and that's all i thank you for listening ciao